thankful and thankful. Come forward as you give. Thank you for your generosity. The rest may be seated in the house of God. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. How many are excited to get back into this message? Come on, first service, folks. I remember last week we talked a lot about the science behind depression and anxiety and how the Word of God gives us an answer. The Word of God gives us an answer to what science and the mental world, or I should say the world of psychiatry and psychology, struggles with. The more that people get closer to the Word of God, the better science is. When people were bloodletting, letting out blood to heal diseases, was that close to the Bible or further from the Bible, away from the Bible? That's away from the Bible because in the Bible, the Scripture says that in the blood is life. Everybody say life is in the blood. So letting out blood is letting out life. So that was further away from the Bible. When uh, the scientists were studying cosmology, looking towards the origins of the universe, and Albert Einstein's biggest blunder, the thing that he made the biggest mistake on, they looked at it and they said, the universe is eternal. It has been in a steady state. It is the way that it is. Was that further from the truth of God or close to the truth of God? Further, so when they did science with those math equations, they were wrong and incorrect. Albert Einstein had to fudge the numbers to make them work. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Now, in those same ways that we just discovered, just as a few examples, and I could go on and on and on about how the Bible has taught us things, well before science could prove it, medical science, also physical science could prove it, and yet when the Christians applied the Word of God in those areas, there's was, there was blessing and success. Well, now what is popular in our culture is the, the field of mental health, self-care. How many have heard a lot about self-care and mental health lately? You hear a lot about it all the time. You hear the words about trauma and triggers. How many have heard the word traumas and triggers more in the last few years than you have your whole life? And there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? Isn't there things that trigger you? There's things that bother you. There's things that bring back bad memories. There's truth in that. But when we treat people as if they're only chemical machines, we get further from the truth of God, we will see bad results. And what we're seeing in the world of the mental health field is bad results. I put up this statistic, and Brother Andrew, would you put it up there as well? It's on my personal Facebook from last week. The statistical rate of suicide among those in the mental health professions. Now, if what they are doing is so good, why isn't it working for them? Now, listen, I shared this last week, and I have to do this now. Disclaimer, I am not a doctor, and I am not against doctors. Okay, that's the disclaimer. As I teased before, I am not Ted Cruz with Matt Lauer making fun of or putting down Brooke Shields for having postpartum depression. Can I hear an amen for that? I acknowledge depression. I acknowledge the help doctors are trying to give. So that is the disclaimer. Please do not put me in that category. But what I am doing is holding the profession of the mental health world accountable to the Word of God. And when I, when I do this, people get uncomfortable because they feel as if, Pastor, you just tell us the story about Noah and the flood and the ark, and then we'll take care of the rest. And, and I say, no, we're not doing it that way. We're bringing the Bible to our culture. We're bringing the Bible to the conversation of this world. And one of the biggest things that needs to be exposed in the psychiatric world is that the mental health professionals themselves at a higher rate, I believe six times higher rate, are more sick than the average population of the, of the country. That needs to be dealt with. We, we need to stop and ask ourselves, why are we listening to them without a critical mind? Now, I know many of you here, you, um, you trust the Word of God because you were brought up in it, and you haven't struggled with mental health. That's going to be further down, good sir. And you haven't struggled with mental health. And this may be not that important to you, but those Christians who have struggled with mental health, this really concerns you. So that's why I'm saying I'm not a doctor. Doctors will affirm to you good mental health if they're good doctors. In other words, if you feel you are in a position that you need a mental health doctor and you don't feel that they're adequately serving you, we as a church will be an advocate for you. But what we will not do is call into question 
the doctor's credentials or to make them out to be villains. I believe most in the mental health field are trying to help. Can I hear an amen? Uh, Amen. So I am not in any way trying to diminish the role of those in the mental health field, especially uh, those who are doing their best. I mean, in any field, there's going to be people doing things that are incorrect. But I want everyone to see this, uh, the stats. Go ahead and click on the picture for me, please. The stats cannot be denied. The, the, The stats and the facts. Let me say stats and facts. Amen. When we were going through the time of COVID, when they were interviewing me, I always said I'm going to give you stats and facts. Now, I loved my friend in Rockford. He just basically prophesied, read the Bible, and said God is able. Now, I thank God for people like that. How many are glad those two people can get along? Amen. He would just come on the show and say, God is able. I know God's a healer. God's going to protect me. I got a word on this. I'm still having church. Then they would turn to to me, and I would be like, this medical journal says this. These stats and facts say this. This thing says that. And I even remember... One of the people from WTTW, he said to me, well, it sounds like you're looking to the science. And I go, that's exactly what I'm doing. As a Christian, science is never in opposition to the Word of God. What people call science, what scientists do, that can always be in opposition to the Word of God because they can call it whatever they want and do whatever they want. But I'm saying what is truth, knowledge, science, to know, it will never be in opposition to the Word of God. God gave us the ability. Amen? But this needs to be brought up. A deeper analysis of, this, of these data show that some groups are faring far worse than others. Brother, this has nothing to do uh, with the suicide rate among those who are in the psychiatric field. Sorry, I, I'm helping you. Uh, Lauren, would you go there and help them, please? I'm looking for the stats and the facts that I put up last Sunday. If you're having trouble, you'll find a date for last Sunday. Look at your calendar for what the date is, brothers. And then you'll find I put a stat and a fact. You don't have to scroll. That's distracting the people. Please move that away from the screen. Thank you. And I want everybody to see this. As a pastor, people should not ever, listen to me. I want everyone to look, pay attention, please. As a pastor, I'm encouraging you, you should never be ashamed to bring Christianity into your workplace, ever. Never do that. Never in any way be ashamed to teach people what you believe. Our culture has made Christians feel like the only thing that we're good for is telling stories about Daniel in the lion's den. And that is not true. You should be able to bring up at any moment, the Bible says. Well, you know what? We're having a conflict between Mike and Jan. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that if people have an issue, they should try to settle it together. And if they can't do it, to get someone alongside of them to help settle it. And then if not, you know, to get someone in authority to do that. Have we tried that here on the job yet? Maybe HR should try that. Let's give that a try. You know, the Bible says that. And you know what? If you want to mess with them and you want to see the consistency of their worldview, just say a guru said and see how they get along with it for a while. And then say Jesus said. And then if they say, well, 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 what do you mean? Well, Jesus is my guru. Just say, well, you know, I've been listening to this guru, and this guru said such and such a thing. And, you know, I've been listening to this uh, life coach. And just use the word life coach. Guru, life coach, and see how they react. And then at a different point, say Jesus and see the reaction. Amen. Then you can see how consistent they are because they'll accept more than likely if they have an attitude with this. They'll accept what a guru has to say. They'll accept what a life coach has to say. But the moment you say the Bible says there's an offense that comes. So I just want to encourage you, don't ever keep your worldview out of your job, out of your workplace, students out of the school. Okay? Amen? Now that's between you and your job. Another disclaimer, I can't pay for your salary if you get fired. But what I'm saying is God will give you wisdom. God will give you the ability to insert into the various places of employment and education the things of God and those principles. Thank you, good brother. I'm glad we got it. Now, notice this stat right here. A high suicide rate among psychiatrists, 58 to 65 out of 100,000, compared with that of the general population, 11 out of 100,000. Does everybody see that? So if you're looking at the difference between 11 on the low side of their number, 58, that's five times higher. Five times higher. Is everybody tracking with that? If you're looking at the high side, 65, you're looking at six times higher. Now, why are we okay with that? We shouldn't be. This is a major red flag. Going with me now to the Bible, Jesus said, John chapter 14, if you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. Verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I was going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Everybody say, don't let your heart be troubled. Amen. See, the world wants to tell you that depression and anxiety is not a choice. But the Bible says it is. The Bible teaches that depression and anxiety is a choice. Now, what are not choices? The physiology of your body. Is cancer a choice? No, it's not. Is postpartum a choice? No. Are hormones a choice? No, these things are not a choice. Is traumatic brain injury, TBI, is that a choice? No. Is past experiences, especially when you were a child, and things that cause memories and triggers, is that a choice? No, none of those things are choices. But what is a choice is depression. What is a choice is anxiety. And so there is a difference between what your body may show as a sign of sickness or mental illness and what you choose as a living soul to meditate on and to make important in your life or to exalt value and focus on. Amen? Each one of us has a throne on our heart or in our heart there is a throne. And each one of us will make a choice to who sits on the throne of our heart. Now, when you look at this in uh, the chapter 14, verse 1, it says, do not let. We now are in conflict with the world and the psychiatric world that says these things are not a choice and that they are a disease. And then inside of that same thing of a disease, they will put addictions. They will put all of these other things. Now they're trying to make room for pedophilia to be in this same place because homosexuality is not a choice. And now pedophilia is not a choice. Listen to a TED Talk by a, a woman teach that. TED Talk. Pedophilia is not a choice. It's an illness. And now I believe that will open the door for the permission to come because now they're already allowing transgenderism a man to now call himself a woman and go into the bathroom, locker rooms of females, why not allow the grown man to call himself a kindergartner and go into the locker room of kindergartners? It's as foolish, if not worse. And it's being accepted in our culture pieces by pieces. This is not alarmist. And by the way, let me just say this. Anyone now, anyone now, whoever says to you as a Christian, you are a chicken little and you are uh, a conspiracist, you are someone who is a slippery slope, fallacious person. Anyone that says that to you, say you're a liar, pants on fire. Why? Because in this church and in churches around the world, 20 years ago, we called out everything that is happening now. And the homosexual says, you're overreacting. And we said, no, we're not. We said they're going to want be. See, see, I've been preaching before it was legal to have marriage. And they said, let us just get married. We'll mind our own business. I remember being even in New Orleans preaching the gospel. And um, a homosexual said to me, I don't have a gay agenda except to get some coffee and go to work in the morning. That's my only gay agenda. That was the joke back then is you, you Christians, you're overreacting. You're chicken littles. You have the, the fallacy of the slippery slope. You think it's just going to get worse and worse. That, that's not true. And now that we see drag drag stars come into the elementary schools. This is, this is common now. Now we see them introducing their perversion to children. Now we see the transgenderism going on top of this movement of the homosexuality, even to the point where you have the old liberals, the old homosexuals and lesbians saying, hey, I'm not down with this. Now, of course, they have an inconsistent worldview, but they're raising up their hands saying, hey, we need to put the brakes on some of this transgenderism. I mean, uh, we, we wanted to get married as adults, but you're messing with children. Can I hear an amen? So don't let people tell you that we're just making this up. And in the same context, I am saying to you now, if we start considering everything the Bible calls a sin, Everything that we call a sin is a disease or it is a part of your human identity. You will be shocked how close we look like Rome and Greece in just a few years. It will continue down that road. 
it will continue down the road that we are no different than animals. That is why some humans want to disfigure their body with body modifications to be like the animal they feel they are. That is why you have grown adults right now defecating on themselves in diapers because they believe they're a child. This is not made up stuff. How many have heard about these things in the news? You even have a woman marrying a fence. You have people marrying objects. Why? Because when you say everything, it's just the way that you are, and you accept it that way, and then you just go with it. And by the way, I was looking up a church that I had heard on YouTube, and I put in their name. I won't tell it to you, but I put in their name, and, it, and there happens to be another name of that same church in Chicago. So I put in Blank Church Chicago, and I went to a church that had the same name, and it was in Chicago. And the moment when it appeared, and I'm not saying I got the best gaydar, but, you know, I can kind of understand just from a few looks, you know, when someone's, you know, flying the rainbow flag, and as the music and worship was playing in the background, I'm like, oh, yeah, these are gay men. And I'm like, what church did I just pop on to? So I, I click through the church because I'm interested in this now. I'm nosy. You know, I'm just going to do my exploring. And I click on it, and it's a gay-affirming church. A couple hundred people on the south side. These are getting more and more popular. How many know what I'm talking about? And I have, listen to me, I have nothing but love and honor and respect for the human dignity of those in the LGBTQ community. I have respect and honor for them. I love them, but I hate the sin. But here's my, here's my thing, is that when you now approve of that and you put that in the gospel context, you are not allowing the word of God to transform your life anymore. Your life is now transforming the word of God. We are now no different than the idolaters of the past who are not worshiping a God who made us in his image. We are worshiping a God that we make in our image. The image of God that the American church, many of them worship, is the image that they make. The God that they say they're listening to is really the vain imaginations of their own heart. And the Bible that they submit to isn't that which came through the prophets of old. It's that which comes from their friends and from their culture. And when it comes to our mental health, we cannot give this up, dear brothers and sisters. Now, brother, if you would like to put up there for us, please, the stats and facts of pastors who deal with depression. Because let us not just put out the profession of psychiatrists. Let's talk about pastors in the pulpit. Pastors who are supposed to be encouraging you to live holy, to live a dignified life unto the Lord and find respect and value in all that you do. They themselves are struggling at higher rates than most of the people in their own congregation. Why is this happening? Why are the healers themselves sick? I thought pastors were supposed to be an example of a good life, a life full of joy and peace. Thank you, good brother. And just click on one picture, and it should allow us to go through the rest. Thank you. One of the alarming findings is that 46% of pastors under the age of 45, and I just got out of that uh, last month. Uh, I was, I'm 46 now, so I would have been in that. 46% of pastors, almost half, under the age of 45, say they consider quitting full-time ministry. Why is that? Because they're suffering. They're mentally in despair. It's not because they can't physically do the job of a pastor. It's because they're mentally under attack. And 34% of pastors 45 and older, so now I'm in that group, the statistics a little bit better. Only three out of ten. They've been around. They've taken a licking or two. Now go to the next side for me, please. Here you see a pastor who works with other pastors, helping them deal with their depression. Here's what it says about their depression here. It's really hard to find a true friend when you're a pastor, when you have no one to talk to about your struggles and questions. Life can get lonely. That is why this organization has been a godsend to me. I get to ask questions and my struggles in a safe place. And now go to the next one. This is how they feel. A recent survey from LifeWay found that nearly one in five pastors deal with depression to some degree. So that means if there's five churches, one out of five. If there's five pastors on your staff, one out of those five. Thank you, my brother. Why? Why are pastors in such a struggle and such a mess? How can we teach you if we ourselves are not being taught by God himself? How can I help you not let your heart be troubled if my heart is troubled all the time? How can I encourage you to find peace through your struggles if my struggles are weighing me down? 
In other words, what do you do when your counselor needs a counselor? And isn't it something how popular it has been made now to go to therapy? You go to therapy like I go to church. Why don't we swap for a minute and see? Well, I wouldn't swap, but I would say let's compare for a minute and see what's better, your therapy or my church. Amen. They make fun of your pastor. They make fun of your life group, a lot of people in the world, and yet they're paying someone $200 an hour to hear their troubles, and they're just a statistic away from blowing out their own brains. Be careful when you talk about the church of God. Let me talk to this culture. Be careful when you say you do not need God. Be careful when you say that the ways of old, the ways of God are no longer important or valid. You will find yourselves in a lot of trouble. And I give that warning to this culture. You are sick. You are in a place of devastation because you have not built your foundation on the word of God. And so going back here to the church, our own people, my own friends, I have compassion for them. In one conversation with a young man, I did not know this, but I believe he set me up. Somebody say a setup. I believe it was a setup. So he said, in my mentor's house, on the couch of my mentor's house, tell me again what you think about depression and anxiety. And so I began to teach what I'm teaching now. The pastor then came back and held to me his medication and said, I take this. Is there something wrong with me? And it was for depression. He set me up in the pastor's house. Now, I didn't take any problem to that. I'm always ready in season and out of season. And then this is what I said to the pastor. My point still stands. Now, just disprove it then. Uh, it, your experience of being a great person, loving Jesus, and saying you still are depressed, that doesn't take away from what I said depression and anxiety is. You could have been masturbating before you came down here and still been a nice person. Are you listening? And I don't mean to be rude and trying to be vulgar. I'm just saying, how many know people who look at porn that are nice? And I'm not trying to say that it's all sin. I'm just saying that if you can go to the extent and still sin and be a great person on the outside, Jimmy Swagger, see, I, I went to Bible college in New Orleans, and Jimmy Swagger fell in Baton Rouge, and some of my professors were there, there during that time. When that man was getting prostitutes on airline highway, altars were filled. What do you say about that? What do you say about God still using Samson while he's living the life of an immoral person? What we say is that gifts and callings are not are taken away just because someone sins instantly. Gifts and callings, according to the Lord, are without reproach. He'll let that gift remain there. And he'll honor even his word, even if it comes through a donkey. Amen? He'll honor it so no one getting saved during that time of Jimmy preaching while he's going to see prostitutes should be under the idea that they bought into something that was fake. No, it's just the person that was bringing the word was a hypocrite. The idea of this is called the genetic fallacy. Where you get your information from does not determine whether or not the information is true. In other words, think of the worst person possible in your mind, a pedophile, a murderer, and imagine they haven't been caught yet, but you're lost and you need directions. If that person gives you directions, and it's true and it's right, is it right despite their character? It's still true, isn't it? Does their character mean that the directions they gave you is incorrect? No, see, that's called the genetic fallacy when you attack the message because of where it came from. Now, is a character witness important or the, witness, uh, the character of a witness important? Absolutely. When you're having conversations about witnessing, uh, I mean about character and about things of value, you need to know who you're hearing them from so you can trust them. You need to de develop a rapport with their character. That's why the Bible says about the, the speck in the log. you got to make sure that someone who's trying to help you with the speck doesn't have a log in their eye. But once again, it doesn't devalue truth in of itself. Even if someone had a log in their eye and they were saying something, it still could be true, but they would need to recognize recognize they have a log in their eye, and it's good to help people do that. Amen? And the problem with our culture is they don't want to recognize that they're broken. And it's coming to the church. When we stopped preaching doctrine, listen to me, all you, many of you haven't been around long enough to know this, but some have. When we stopped preaching doctrine and started preaching pop psychology, this demon came into our churches. This demon of depression, this demon of anxiety, this demon of divorce, this demon of, of, of dysfunction, this came into our church and we stopped preaching doctrine because the pastors got together and they thought, well, if we preach seeker-sensitive messages, messages that draw people in, that will be better to retain the church members. That will be better for them to bring their friends, and this will help grow the church. And they saw that growth happen, so that validated to them they were blessed. That made them feel like God's hand was on it. But really, the devil was setting them up for a great fall. 
That's why, like in places of Willow Creek where the root came from, the fruit was a perverted man that's now been in hiding ever since the scandal came out. Imagine your pastor having to go in hiding because of a scandal, and you can no longer even find them anywhere. This was the person who Mary Berry baptized, loved you, preached to you, and now you can't even find them. Where's pastor so-and-so? He ducked out and hid. God have mercy. It didn't work. It backfired on us because now this is our problem. This is where we're at. Yet, brothers and sisters, I still hold true to the word of the Lord. Every person here, listen to me, who has ever faced depression or anxiety, Hear the words of Jesus in this context. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You hold the key to your heart and you decide who sits on the throne of your heart. Will you allow your own thoughts and your own ways to be on the throne of your heart? Or will you let Jesus Christ sit on the throne of your heart even if you face the most toughest trials of mental anguish? Will you hold true to the word of God? And then I want you to notice the next thing that he says. He says, in his father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't tell, I would have told you. I wouldn't be telling you this if it wasn't true. It is true. And then he goes on to say, I go there to prepare a place for you. During the time of mental anguish, people are instructed to think on things that bring them joy. People are instructed to place their minds upon things that will help calm their nerves. When they're helping those with PTSD, they ask them to focus on their children when they're triggered, to carry around pictures of their families. And when they feel the angst of war and death that they have experienced come upon them while they're in the grocery store, looking at a picture of their family can help calm their nerves and remind them, I am not at war, I am not in danger, I am a father, I'm a mother, I'm caring for my family, I'm safe here, and I'm going home, you know? Jesus gives you a visualization here. What are you supposed to visualize, brothers and sisters? A place to dwell with the Father and Jesus. You're supposed to focus on a place where you and the Father are safe together. You're supposed to have a visualization of what it's like to be in the Father's house. Maybe some of you didn't have a father that brought protection. Maybe you didn't have that. Maybe a father was, was uh, not around, but you're supposed to visualize a father that is around. You're supposed to visualize someone that is there to protect you. You're supposed to envision, envision Jesus as your Savior, the one who's going to prepare that place for you, that you will be in his presence evermore, that you'll never have any more troubles. And so today, while you're in a trouble, while you're in a situation, and it's not your choice, I understand that you haven't chosen the trouble, the trouble chose you. But in that moment, you make a choice to have a visualization and a faith and a hope that is greater than the scope of what you see. That we focus on Jesus. That we see a heavenly dwelling. I, I wonder how many people could testify throughout the generations of human history. I mean, come on. Christians living through Nazi Germany. Christians living through, uh, right now, the persecution in nations like Nigeria and in India and in places of the Middle East. I wonder how many have had to make a decision. I will not let my heart be troubled. I will focus and think on Jesus preparing a place for me. I wonder how many, even in this room, in your times of tri trial and struggle, have needed to guard your heart and then to place your mind on things above. Look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. And the review. You all remember some of those things from last week? Add a little extra in there. Now let's go through the points I wanted to give you last week by God's grace. Four things to do now to guard your hearts. Number one, go with me to Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule you. Let the peace of God rule over you. Let me speak to anyone here that has been cl clinically diagnosed with depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies. There is hope for you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let him in today. Let him in. Let Jesus into your life. Make time to pray. Make time to get alone with God. Uh, incorporate the things that maybe you've learned from the self-help community. Incorporate them into your spiritual practices. Walking and exercising can diminish the feelings of anxiety and depression, they say, faster than the medication. 
In other words, releasing endorphins while exercising combats depression faster and quicker than the medication they give. So what can you do? Go on a prayer walk. In your times of stress, go on a prayer walk. And if you don't have a, a big place to walk and walk in your room, walk in your house, or you don't feel safe, walk in your house. As you see, oftentimes we as Christians, we pace when we pray. Anybody else a pacer when they pray? I am one of those people that pace when I pray. I remember seeing this early on when I got saved. They would pray like this, and I didn't understand it, but I understand it now. They're operating in their physical body. They're releasing those endorphins of exercise. They're getting amped up for Jesus. They're getting high off their serotonin, but at the same time, they're releasing to the Lord the prayers of their heart, the worship from their soul. Hallelujah. The old timers knew what they were doing. There was a reason why they would jump and shout in church. It's not just because they would feel the Holy Ghost. Some of them would do it without feeling the Holy Ghost, but knowing that the Holy Ghost was there. Sometimes they say, I shout because I feel them. Other times, I, I, I shout because I want to feel them. <laughs> you know, I want to feel them. I want to let them know I'm here and I'm in his presence. Now, of course, you can go too far in that. And just try to manipulate the Lord in his presence by your dance. And then you become like the prophets of Baal trying to cut yourself to get your God to come. He doesn't respond like that. But there's a, there is a decision that we make when we let God rule in our hearts with his peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be what? And be what? Come on, somebody say thankful. One more time. And be what? thankful. That's why the name of our church contains the word praise in it. Praise is a part of your purpose. When you're letting the peace of God rule over your heart, whether it's anxiety attack, whether it's a season of depression, whatever you're going through in your struggles and trials, when you're letting the peace of God rule in your heart, you are to be thankful to the Lord for his goodness and kindness. Gratitude is the attitude that God responds to. God responds to the attitude of gratitude. Don't ask him for another thing if you haven't thanked him for all the things he's already done. Can I get an amen? He's already been so good that if he didn't do another thing, he would still be good. I talk to some people, you know, when we're debating about God and, and, and his existence and all of these things. I said, just based on my testimony in the past, I could never deny him. Just based on whatever he's done in the past, I made it here, and it was only by God's grace. I can't even, I'm not allowed to deny him now. I've already accepted what happened back then as truth. Imagine the liar I would have to be to go back and rewrite my history and not include God in it. Does everybody, anybody understand that way of thinking? They want me to deny him now. How could I deny him now when I would not be here if it were not for him? I, 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 I can't even do it. I'm here as a result of what God did in the past. In other words, the past Joe would slap the present Joe trying to deny him upside his head and say, what are you doing? You can't deny him how you think you got here. You got here for what God did on those days. People think that our faith is weak because we have to get together every week and sing about it and talk about it. They say, well, scientists don't do that. You know, you don't do that about math. You don't have to convince yourself every day math is true. You don't have to do that about science. No, 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 my friends. We're not here to convince ourselves over and over it's true. I'm here because I know it's true, and I'm so thankful that it's true, and I'll sing about it because I know it's true, and I shout about it because I know it's true. Are you listening to me? And I want everybody else to know how true it is. I'm not trying to convince myself up here. I'm out here because I'm already convinced. Hallelujah. I'm not brainwashing myself in that way. I've already been brainwashed, made cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. I know something happened to me. I know that God changed me. I know that God saved me. I know that I have peace in my soul that I have never had before. Sometimes I meet backsliders, and they tell me their sad old story. It reminds me of the country song. They got a tear in the beer, and I'm missing you, dear, wishing you were here. Something like that. I don't know. They got a tear in their beer, sister, and they just want to tell me their sad song and how God didn't do this or that and how this person did this or that, and this is what I don't believe and all these things. And I just share with them the truth. Let every man be a liar and God be true. 
You understand what I'm saying? Don't trust your wicked heart. Don't trust it. Your heart can lie to you and deceive you. I would rather say I messed up. I would rather say I don't understand something. I would rather say there's sinners in the church than to ever put it back on my creator. Because how do you get around the fact that the universe is still here sustaining itself? How do you get around the fact that we are still living souls inside of bodies? Have you ever had an existential crisis or an existential deep thought? You are just a skeleton with a bunch of flesh and goo up in here, and you're thinking and feeling, believing you're important. (laughs) Have you ever had that thought hit you? You better run back to God before you get lost in it. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Hallelujah. You will, I'm telling you, they know it to be true because I see it all the time and people will send it to me on Facebook. One, uh, Jared sent one guy's Facebook to me or something. It said, I'm having an existential crisis. I'm thinking about how I'm thinking as a bunch of goo up here and a skeleton. Who am I and why do I matter? He sent it to me. It was actually somebody talking like that. Uh, it was, uh, uh, Juan and I were listening to a, muse, a song by Death Cab uh, Cutie. Cutie for Death Cab. What's the name of that band? Death Cab for Cutie. These kids in their bands. And that's a, like an older band. But, man, this guy's singing about the whole, uh, the whole angst of life. He says, I watched these movies from the 50s. And one thing about them is they're all dead now. That's literally in the song. And they're all dead now. He's singing it. And they're all dead now. But I love that song. You know why? Because I felt just like you until I met Jesus. I said, brother, I don't listen to it because I'm in agreement with everything he's doing there. I listen to it because it reminds me why I came to Jesus. Jesus gave me the reason for why I'm here. Otherwise, you'll get lost in your own thoughts. As one... um, As one philosopher said, it is now no longer a question why we should commit suicide because that would be the only response to anything we are now discussing. But now the question is, why shouldn't we? That is what one philosopher said. Why shouldn't we all just commit suicide? Because it's obvious we all should. We live in so much torment. Many people have more bad days than good days. You have a fear of dying of cancer. I mean, I don't want to mess with you right now, but I'll help you reach that existential crisis if you haven't. You're living right now as if you got this thing under control. You could get a cancer diagnosis and have the next five years of your life be in so much pain and turmoil. You think that person you have now loves you. You could be heartbroken and left emotionally for dead by that person. You think your children are your solution. Your children could die in a car accident, and you could face the worst pain a parent could ever imagine. So the question isn't should we? Of course, if that's all there is, and just end it now. Take control of your own life. And so find a reason to live. And you know what this, if I remember the story correctly, is the man said, I found a reason just because other people will miss me. And I don't want them to suffer more in this wretched life. So he said, I'll live on. The the philosopher said that. God have mercy. You see, the Bible says, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. If you don't let the peace of Christ rule your heart, you are left with existential angst. You are left with the depression of this world. I love what Corey Tim Boone said. When I look at myself, I'm depressed. When I look at the rest of the world, I'm de-stressed. But when I put my heart on Jesus, my soul is at rest. I love what Jordan Peterson said when he was arguing with Sam Harris about the existence of God or Matt Dillahunty, one of the atheists, and uh, they were getting on Jordan Peterson because he doesn't take a tough enough stand, and I agree with them doing that. But at one point, they said, well, we just don't really understand what you believe. And he said, really, nobody does. The belief itself is a mystery. And they all laughed, you know, in the atheistic audience. And he said, explain belief from your brain. Does this bottle believe in something? Do chemicals shaking up in a pop can believe in something? How do these neurons believe in anything? He was blowing their mind and they didn't even know it. He was being introspective and saying, I haven't untangled the web yet. I I don't know all of my beliefs. And he was quoting in his own words what Scripture had already said. The heart is deep. Who knows it? It's like a well, a wise man to draw it out. He needs someone to go to the depths of his well and start drawing things out and help him discern. That's why, dear Christian, when you're preaching, never try to argue somebody into Christianity because the Muslim can come next and argue them out. 
You don't win people to Christianity by the strength of your argument or by the power of your rhetoric. You do it by bringing them to their heart to discover what God has already been saying. You help them see that the breadcrumb trail has been there the whole time. That God has been speaking and drawing to them, reaching out to them. Please go to Acts 17 at Mars Hill when Paul quotes the poets of the atheists and the unbeliever and the pagans. He says, all of us are made in his image, all of us in him, and we live and move and have our being. And God made us from one man so that, and put us in our culture so that what? We can reach out and find him. Chapter 17, verse 27 of Acts, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Say, he's not far from us. Come on, he's not far from those in prison today. He's not far from those today in the Belmont and Clark community. He's not far from our politicians. He's not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Praise God. Number one, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Number two, go to Colossians, same book, chapter 3, verse 1, just a few verses earlier. Set your mind on things above. Pastor, have you felt depression since being a Christian? Absolutely. Have you felt anxiousness? Absolutely. One time when I was living in Baton Rouge in the hood, I was having heart palpitations all the time. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. They were threatening us every time we went out to preach or making fun of us. What are you doing, white boy, in this hood? (laughs) Uh, We would hear gunshots. We saw gangs everywhere. I'm in a strange place. I don't know anybody except my Bible college friend who's starting a church there. Church only has about four people. Is it any wonder I'm getting heart palpitations. Come on, somebody. Can you relate to a preacher scared in the hood? Hey, I'll keep it real. I went to the doctor. I said, man, can you you put me on one of those EKGs, man? Tell me what's going on with my heart. That's why I can relate to many of you saying you go to the emergency room for these things. But I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose if it's just anxiety. I don't know. But I went to the doctor and I said, put me on this thing. And they said, there's no irregularities here. And they said, it might be anxiety. And I said, the devil is a liar. I don't get that. I'm a Christian. Those kinds of things I got delivered from the day I got saved. And they said, well, it happens. You know what I did? I went back into my room and I talked to the devil and I talked to myself. And I said, we're going to get one thing straight here. My heart is going to be at peace from this day forward. I don't care if I feel it come like it did last time. I'm going to take it head on in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to do everything I know that the Word of God said to do. And so I don't know if it was a spiritual attack or if it was just my body. I have no idea what happened. But whenever my heart started palpitating and there was nothing wrong, whenever I felt anxious thoughts, I just began to set my mind on Christ, started to be thankful, started to praise him, started to shout, started to walk back and forth in my room until I would go back to sleep and then another day and then another day. And then now when I tell you that story, you say, is it really that true that you could have been there? Yes, but I've been delivered for years and years and years. Won't he do it, friends? Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. All anxiety is based on earthly things. Come on, somebody. Every now and then somebody will put a spiritual thing in there, but I would even say it's earthly because it's how the devil's going to mess with you here on this earth. But think about it. It's always about earthly things. It's always about how am I going to do this? How am I going to face this? How can I overcome this? How can I pay this? As they say, worry is just prayer towards fear. Worry is a form of prayer, but it's towards fear. Faith is a trust and a prayer towards God. And so, brothers and sisters, when those things come against you and I, we need to see that we're raised with Christ. Do you get the visualization there? Do you see what you're supposed to imagine in your mind? Is that you're raised with Christ, that you're seated with him on eagle's wings? Does anybody remember at the end of Lord of the Rings how those eagles came and picked them up and soared them back over to the eagle, uh, to the, where the elves live? That's how you're supposed to see yourself. You're supposed to see yourself raised up. I'm with Christ. 
Christ. I'm out of Mordor. I'm soaring now. There's peace now. I can feel the light of the sun now. Hallelujah. Oh, my Lord of the Ring nerds. You got it. You got it. They fought their battle. They've done their job. Now it's time to get picked up. And the great question is, why didn't they fly there to begin with? They had to take all the trails to get there. Why not just take the eagles right there the first time? But anyways, that wouldn't have made that good of a story. But the idea is, is that God is with us and that he sets us in heavenly places. He puts us at his right hand where he is. Where Christ is, I am. Where I am, Christ is. These kinds of confessions will change you in the middle of your greatest turmoils. God is with me, and I am with God. My mind is set on him, and he is set on me. He cares for us. He gives us illustrations that are to comfort us in our greatest fears. He says, look at the sparrows of the sky. And how not one of them falls that the Lord does not have, the Father does not have his eyes on. He has his eye on the sparrow. He has his eye on me. What is another visualization that God gave us is that he knows the number of hairs on your head. And he knows when one falls out. He knows how many you have today. You and I are supposed to sit back and relax and know that God is in control. We never had it in control. It was never ours to control. Can I give you some good news? uh, Numero siete bambino in the Wyrostic family is on the way. (laughs) Hallelujah. We have number seven. Tucked in the oven right now. <laughs> number, number seven is in. When she comes in, you can let her know how proud you are of her. She's not here yet. She'll be here in a moment. We had a miscarriage between six and seven before, and she's been bringing that up to me. Pray that this baby comes forth in the name of Jesus. Amen. Like any mother, she has said, be careful how we share, because what if, what if, what if? And I said, no, we won't do that. We're sharing. We're, we're giving that to the Lord in prayer because I know I have a praying church. Amen? And I stand on the word of God. But I want you to understand something. My eyes are set on Jesus right now. Number seven. 46 years old. What am I doing here? Seriously, what am I doing here? Some of my friends, they already got snipped. Let's not go into too many details. They said, they said, we're done, we're done, we're done, and I'm still here doing the thing. How is that? Hallelujah. I was here when we started it. I guess I'll be here when we end it, but no, be, you know what I'm saying. I'm, I've been a part of almost every baby rush in our church. I have like a child for every stage our church has gone through. But here's my thing. I'm setting my heart on Jesus because... There's the what ifs. Well, you're older, and then the hormones. My wife went and got the check from the doctor. Okay, you are pregnant, and this is what we're going to do. You know, you're at high risk because of your age. She's 40, going to deliver at 41. My friend's wife just did it last year, so my wife is already looking to her as an example. You know, praise God. And I was bringing her in my arms last night in in, in our bed, and I was saying, you can come to me with anything, and I'll be gentle and soft, anything you feel. But then after that, I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says, okay? So come to me with anything, cry on my shoulder, tell me how you feel, and during those times, I'm going to listen. But then after that, I'm going to tell you the Word of God, and we're going to speak it over our lives. And I said, imagine the life that's going to come forth. This person we have not met yet. This one may be a missionary. This one may be a doctor, a president, you know, someone in the world that just helps others. It doesn't matter to me, you know. Baker candlestick maker, just imagine this person's life now carrying the heart of God wherever they go. Amen. Set your mind on things above. Number three, set your hope on Christ. First Peter 1.13. You're going to let peace rule. You're going to set your mind on Christ, and you're going to set your hope on him. You have to have hope in this world, my brothers and sisters. Even those, and I'm telling this to myself because early on when I first got saved, I had a fear of death. You say, Pastor, why is that? You're saved now. You you know, when I was a non-Christian, I never thought about death, really. But now as a Christian, I started thinking about death. I don't know why. It could have been the devil. It could have just been my own fear. But I just began to think about it. And I remember the Lord 
putting in my heart this scripture, even when you're old and gray, I will not forsake you. And I started to get into my heart what I would do if, not, if I or when I turn old and gray and I find myself in those last days. I want to trust Jesus. Now they want to take you out of the world. Once they know you're done and you, don't, you want to leave, they call this euthanasia. Have you heard of it before? Because they don't think there's anything else that can be of value in your life. But you know what? The Bible speaks of human dignity from beginning to end, even in the womb. You never had this under control at the beginning, so you give God control. Were you in control when you were in the womb, when you were the size of a poppy seed like our little baby is now? No, so why are you trying to control it now? Let God have control. And when you're going out in the end, will you have control of all your, your faculties? You may not. You, will you have control of everything that you do in your body? You may not, but you're going to give God glory on the way out. You're going to show from beginning to end that God is worthy. Amen? The old song, Be Thou My Vision, has an important verse in it that reminds me of God taking away the fear of death that he gave me early on, and that is, Be Thou My Dignity. God, be my dignity. When you go to the nursing home, you see aged people, and you wonder, where is the dignity in becoming old? And yet the dignity is still in the image of God in them because God stamped it on them, and it can't be taken away by simply losing a few faculties. We have dementia that runs in my family, and I watched my uh, grandmother go through it, and I never cried harder than I went to the nursing home, and she didn't recognize me. And so now my mom and I, we are a little bit sadistic in our humor. We talk about what happens when we lose our mind. And one of them that came up during that time is, if I lose my mind, just point me in the right direction of a conversation and let me go on for a little bit. Why? Because I'm sure I'll say something good in the middle of all of that. So if I start talking to myself, just point me towards everybody else and let me talk for a little while and just go, oh, yeah, okay, we get it, Pastor Joe. We remember that too. We remember that and just let me be, right? Because there's still dignity in the human life. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. My dear grandmother was a Christian, and I remember reading to her this scripture while it was coming on. We saw it. She would take the pumpkin and put it in the oven and think she was cooking something like a turkey. It was happening, and Grandpa was trying to take care of her. We were there during this time, and in you know, uh, one of her moments of clarity, I read a scripture to her that through our suffering, we get levels of glory. That as we suffer more, the glory of God increases more. That was the last coherent conversation that I can remember having with my grandmother is hold on. Someone's watching you in the middle of your suffering and they have glory to give you. Set your hope on Jesus. In the time of your anxiety, in the time of your depression, set your hope on Jesus. One day I will be with him face to face. One day I will walk with him on the streets of gold. One day every tear from my eyes will be wiped away. One day every wrong will be made right. You set your hope on Jesus. Hope that does not disappoint. Amen. And then lastly, you offer your body as a living sacrifice. Go to Romans chapter 12. My body belongs to Jesus. This is why I say to people who are facing all kinds of turmoils in their body, I don't even say they're lying. I feel like I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. I don't doubt you. I, I feel like dying. I don't doubt you. I feel depressed. I don't doubt you. Why would I argue with something like that? How do I know? I'm not them. Can I hear an amen? We should show human sympathy and empathy. I don't know what you're going through. I haven't been in your shoes. I don't consider anything you say to me to be invalid for your human experience if you say it's what you're experiencing. But I don't leave it there in the human realm of experience. What I say back to you and to myself and to everyone who has a body that acts differently than what you wish it would is offer it to God as a living sacrifice. Understand the boundaries of your human experience and live within those boundaries. And anything outside of those boundaries that you may desire or comes natural to your body, count it now as dead and as a sacrifice. Now, if people say, well, Joe, that's unfair, 
That's unfair, Joe. People should be who they want to be. That's what the uh, message was at that church that I saw this morning. It literally said, letting people be who they want to be. Pastor, you're going to come to regret that in a little bit. Somebody going to be somebody you don't want them to be real quick. <laughs> Hello. A thief going to come in there and be who they want to be. And you're going to try to tell them to not take that offering. A Muslim will say, I want to be a mosque up in here or make this a mosque. And you're going to have to tell them, don't be who you want to be. How many know the world doesn't know even how to be logical? They try. They think they have Spock on their side. No, but Spock was based in Christianity, not in their nonsense. If your worldview contradicts itself at the first moment of you talking, you have the wrong worldview. You know? Question everything. Well, do I question to question everything? Right? Come on, somebody. See, they don't even understand. Trust no one. Okay, including you. <laughs> Isn't that something people always want to do that? They want to say, trust no one. Everything's a conspiracy. But what if you're in the conspiracy? What if you talking about the conspiracy is a part of the conspiracy? What if I'm supposed to be thinking we didn't land on the moon, but we really did land on the moon? I heard I learned one guy say, if somebody says that to you, we didn't believe we landed on the moon as a conspiracy, look right back at him and say, I don't believe there's a moon. <laughs> Have you watched this YouTube video? This one says there's not even a moon. <laughs> you know, take their conspiracy to the next level and see if they'll keep tracking with you. You know. But the Bible says that you and I have bodies that are already meant for death now. That's supposed to be a wake-up call to us. Your body, it dies. So why do you trust it so much? Your brain, the chemicals, the organ, it dies. Why do you trust it so much? Why do you trust it so much? That's what not only I have said as a preacher, but the most powerful scientists, one of the best mathematicians in our world from Oxford University, John Lennox, look up his talks, very good Christian from Ireland. He, when he debates with his scientific friends, he says, by the way, what are you using right now in your debate? Oh, I'm using my brain. I'm using my mind. Where did it come from? From evolutionary processes. Was it guided in any way to bring you towards truth? No, it just had unguided processes to do whatever it did to survive. And then he looks right back at him and says, and you trust him? You trust it? You trust these? You just told me it came from the good to the zoo to you, unguided, not geared towards truth. Why would you ever trust such a thing? You could be a roach right now. This will blow your mind. You could be a roach right now living in a little roach village imagining that you're a human. Why do you trust yourself right now? You could be in a roach's dream. I'm dreaming that I'm a human. That's what roaches do right now. How would you tell yourself you're not? How do you get out of that? There's no way to stop the endless regress of what possibly could be happening right now. Well, everybody else is here and they're seeing the same thing. Yeah, they're in your dream. They're agreeing with you. Of course they are. One atheist hung up on this guy. Matt Dillahunty in the atheist experience hung up on what's called a solipsis. A solipsis believes something similar to that. My mind has created all the reality. There's nothing outside of my mind. Uh, the atheist people just hang up on him because there's nothing else to talk about once you say that. What do you say back to them as an atheist? Nuh-uh. That's all you can say is nuh-uh. I don't believe it. Seriously, and people do this. There's a person that put out a website, you're God, and you created yourself last Thursday to forget that you did so you could experience humanity. You started the video game called Life last Thursday, and you created yourself. Here's the website that tells you. Do you understand how weird it is out in the world, and people try to tell us we're weird? Think about that. How would you convince yourself you didn't make the website to remind you you're God and that you created yourself last Thursday? Because when you start a video game, you don't start off in Halo as a baby, do you? You start off as a full-grown human. You started your video game right here as Jason at this age, and I'm in your video game. And you put this here so that I would tell you on this day to go find the website. Now you would remind yourself that's who you are. What does the atheist say back to that? Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. Prove it wrong then. See, the only reason why we're here is because of God. And I'm not him. And I didn't make that website because I know the person who did. We can find who registered it. Do you understand? Brothers and sisters, you better offer up your body as a living sacrifice. You can come up with all the science fiction of the world. 
one sci-fi movie. The man is his mother, father, and his own child. He goes back in time three different times and does this, if you've ever heard of it, inception, not inception, uh, predestination. Re- look it up in the Google. Make sure I'm saying the same thing. Wiki. He's his mother, he's his father, and he was born from himself. People will come up with these things. Because they don't understand the body. And just look up predestination Wikipedia and just make sure he's all three. He's a child, birthed from himself as a mother and as a father because he goes back in time. Brothers and sisters, your body is not to be trusted. Well, I feel like having sex. So what? Don't do it. Stay celibate until you're married. Well, I'm married. Is that true? Is he all three? Did you, did you look it up? Just look it up. Wikipedia predestination. Yeah, 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 but it will say in Wikipedia, because I remember looking up for my wife. It will say, write the first paragraph. He's all three, I believe. Look at the first paragraph of Wikipedia. Given this movie advertisement. Do you have it there? Okay, take your time. Yeah, just grab it up here for me. Let me get it. The movie, Predestination. There you go. Thank you. Here we go. Thank you. Let's get to the plot of this. You all want to hear this? Some of you don't. Here we go. Here we go. He has sex surgery so that he can do this. Isn't this crazy? Thank you, Lord, for taking our time to do this. Half kid here. All right, I guess it wasn't Wikipedia where I found that. Find out if that's true on that movie, please. Thank you. I'm glad you caught that. I just thought about it after I threw it. Why did I throw that? <laughs> if he doesn't catch this, I'm in a lot of trouble. How many know you think pretty fast? Lawrence or whoever's ever on keys today, would you come please? Listen to what the Bible says. Don't trust your body. Therefore, I urge you as brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Everybody say perfect will. Thank you. Yes. Did, did you find it? Yeah. Does it say he's all three? It says continuing his mission, the agent brings uh, Jane's baby born from her self-fertilization by John back in time to the Cleveland Orphanage. Of the thus, same person. Yeah, thus Jane, John, and their baby are the same person. Thank you, sir. So I spoiled that movie for you. <laughs> Trust me, you wouldn't want to watch it anyway. I was, I was like, <laughs> really? That's what we did with our body today. That's what your brain come up with. Jane, John, and all, we're all the same person, but in different times. And Yeah. Don't trust yourself. Well, I'm a man in a woman's body. Okay, you feel like that, but don't trust yourself. I feel like cheating on my husband or wife. Yeah, I, I get it, but don't trust yourself. Don't do it. I feel like doing drugs and getting drunk all the time. Okay, I know that's what you feel like. Do, don't do it. You know, I, I, I really believe that if I get a lot of money and I put myself first, then I can help others and then I'll be happy. No, don't do it. We have deceived ourselves into thinking that our bodies are worth following. They're not. Your bodies have a lot to offer. They send signals to you to help you. You have instinct. You'll pull your hand away from a fire before your brain tells you pull it away. These are good things about your body. But your body is going to die. Your body has corrupt parts of it right now. It is telling you things that are incorrect all the time. If anybody remembers the, uh, I think it was on National Geographic, the, the brain show. I think it was named that. Brain Games. Yes, thank you. That guy messed me up every time I watched that show. You know, spin something with all these different colors and then take it away. Do you still see the colors? Yeah, I see it, but there's no colors there anymore. Pause the video, go back. Okay, what just happened there? And then he would be like, your brain doesn't know what it's doing anymore. It got too many colors. It can't, un- it can't delete it quick enough. You're still seeing it. Or watch this here. Doesn't it look like I'm taller than this person? And then he walks up and the guy's way taller than him, but it's just a matter of perspective. And you're like, okay, I can't trust myself. But then we want to hear children say, well, I'm a boy in a girl's body and we want to trust them. 
No, just have them watch a couple episodes of Brain Games and realize you can't even trust yourself. Brothers and sisters, what do you do with this body? Give it to Jesus. Lord, I give you my body. You set the boundaries. Okay, Lord, you said we don't have sex. Uh, A human doesn't have sex until they're in marriage. Okay, I'm setting the boundary. Everything else is a sacrifice. Okay, God, you said that man and woman is how you made us, and that's how we're going to live and die as men and women. Okay, then help me in my, my feelings of discomfort in this body. Help me understand this body and to enjoy it for the time that I'm here. Oh, Lord, you said not to pursue greed, but to pursue your kingdom and your righteousness. And then through those things, jobs, money, finances will come together and it won't cost me my soul. Okay, so I'm not going to listen to my boss. I'm not going to listen to these people who try to take away my soul to make money. You can listen to your boss on your job, but not his religious ideas. Do you understand? Your boss's, jo- your, your boss's God may be money. Don't serve the, bo- the God of your boss. When, when Joseph worked for Pharaoh, he didn't serve Pharaoh's gods. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house, he didn't serve what Potiphar served. You serve the God of your ancestors. You serve the God of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? Woo! Come on, somebody. In closing today, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Jesus. You have heard him say, that he goes to prepare a place for you. In his father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, he would not told you that. But where he is going, he is coming to bring you with him so that where he is, you and I may be also. Amen? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. I pray that's encouraged you. Abandon altar workers, would you come, please? I pray that each one of us here will remember these messages during our times of mental anguish. If you're going through that even now as I pray, you can raise up your hands. Father, you see hands raised of those going through any anxiety or depression. Anyone here, Lord, going through sexual discomfort or through uh, confusion, oh, Father God, we pray for the mind to be healed and for the body to be a living sacrifice. Lord, I ask you right now to heal minds and hearts right now. Anyone that has trauma and triggers, just raise up your hands and say, I dedicate my life to God. Lord, heal my traumas and triggers in the name of Jesus. Lord, help my heart not to be troubled, but to always trust in you. In the next few moments, you can start coming forward even now, but we'll dismiss. And you can do that then. But right where you're at, if you don't know Jesus, ask him to come into your heart. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me of my sins. I believe you died. You rose again for me. And I want to live for you all the days of my life. The rest of us right now, would you prepare your heart to face whatever trials and tests are waiting for you? I never lie to our church and promise a yellow brick road. The yellow brick road is the heavenly road. That's only in heaven. Now until then, we may face various trials and temptations. Brother or sister, would you just raise up your hands with me right now and say, Lord, I'm facing them with you.